The Most Holy Virgin, Part 3, Symbols of the Mystery of the Immaculate Conception. I saw the whole earth parched and dried up. I saw Elias with two servants climbing up Mount Carmel. They first crossed a high ridge, then went up steps cut in the rock to a terrace. From this terrace they ascended by similar steps to a level place from which arose a hill. The hill contained a cave, and up to this Elias mounted alone. He left his servants on the borders of the level place, that they might look down upon the Sea of Galilee. Its waters were dried up, and its bed lay full of holes, mud, and putrefied carcasses. Elias sat down, his head resting upon his knees, covered himself with his mantle, and prayed earnestly to God. Seven times did he call to his servants, as to whether no cloud out of the sea had yet arisen. At last I saw in the middle of the sea a white vapor, out of which came a little black cloud, and the latter was a small, shining figure which, rising on high, gradually increased in size. As the cloud rose, Elias perceived in it the figure of a radiant virgin. Her head was surrounded by rays, her arms were outstretched in the form of a cross, one hand grasping a victor's wreath, and her long garments fell as if bound below her feet. She appeared to be hovering over Palestine. In this vision, Elias learned four mysteries relative to the Blessed Virgin. One was that she would come in the seventh age, and another was the family to which she would should belong. He also saw on one shore of the sea a low, spreading tree, and on the other a very lofty one, whose summit drooped over upon the lower one. I saw the cloud break up and fall in fleecy vapors upon certain holy places, and upon the abodes of certain pious people who were in prayer. These vapors were bordered by rainbow edges, and in them was the blessing like a pearl in its shell. I was told that this, though typical, was a true representation of how the preparation for the coming of the Blessed Virgin would develop from those various blessed points. Soon after this vision, Elias enlarged the cave in which he was accustomed to pray. He made new regulations for the prophet children, of whom from that time some in that cave constantly supplicated for the coming of Mary and honored her advent. Elias had by his prayer called up the clouds, and he directed them according to interior enlightenment. Otherwise, a sudden and destructive rain gust might have resulted from them. At first I saw these clouds dropping down dew, settling in white plains, forming eddies with rainbow-colored edges, and finally dissolving in drops. I recognized some connection between them and the manna in the desert, which in the morning lay brittle and thick, like a skin upon the ground. It could be gathered in rolls. I saw the vapors floating along the Jordan. They did not fall in all places indiscriminately, but only here and there, at Salem, for instance, where John baptized at a later period, and at the spot where subsequently his pool of baptism stood. I asked for the signification of the colored edges, and it was explained to me by a certain shell of the sea which, too, has shining colored margins. The shell under the sun's rays absorbs the light, reflects its colors at the edges. 
thus purifying the ray as it were, until in its own center the pure white pearl is formed. I cannot express it, but I understood that that dew and the rain following it did more than what is commonly signified by refreshing a watering of the earth. I received the clear assurance that, without this dew, Mary's advent would have been delayed one hundred years longer, while through that watering and blessing of the earth, the different families living on its produce were quickened and enlivened. Thus their flesh received a new blessing, by which it became more purified and ennobled by propagation. The vision of the pearl in its shell bore reference to Jesus and Mary. The drought that I saw was not confined to the earth alone. There was also a great drought, great sterility among men. But the spray of the fructifying dew descended from generation to generation down to the flesh of Mary. I cannot express it. At times, there appeared upon the colored edges of the cloud one or several pearls, and upon these a human figure, breathing forth something spirit-like which again seemed to amalgamate and the others. I saw also that, by the great mercy of God, the pious heathens of that age knew that the Messiah would be born of a virgin of Judea. This knowledge was imparted to the star worshippers of Chaldea by the appearance of a vision either in a star or in the heavens. They prophesied concerning it. I saw the same tidings of salvation proclaimed in Egypt. Elias was commanded by God to bring together into Judea several pious families scattered to the north, east, and south. He sought for three prophet scholars suited to the mission, and he implored a sign from God by which he might recognize him, for it was a distant and very hazardous undertaking. One went north, the second east, and the third south. This last route led to Egypt, where Israelites could not enter without risk. I saw the third messenger journeying along the road subsequently traversed by the Holy Family, and also at Heliopolis. He came at last to a great pagan temple, surrounded by numerous buildings and situated in a wide plain. A live bull was worshipped in this temple, and in it were also the image of a bull and other idols. Deformed children were sacrificed to the animal. As the prophet was passing the temple, he was seized and led before the priests. Fortunately for him, they were exceedingly inquisitive, else perhaps they would have murdered him at once. They questioned him as to whence he came. He answered fearlessly, telling them that a virgin would be born from whom should proceed the salvation of the world. Then would all their idols be shattered. They were amazed and impressed by what they heard, and allowed him to go on his way. But they afterward took counsel together, and resolved to make the image of a virgin. When it was finished, they placed it high in the center of the temple roof, and in a position as if in the act of floating down. The virgin's headdress was like that of so many of the other idols, half woman, half lion, that were in the temple. The upper part of the arms was close to the body, the forearms extended as if warding off something. Feathers radiated from both upper and lower arms, two clasping together like crests or combs. Similar feathers ran down the sides, in the middle of the body to the tiny feet. The Egyptians honored this image and offered sacrifice to it, that thereby the virgin might not destroy their god Apis and their other idols. But they still continued in their usual abominations. 
The only change the prophet's communication wrought was that they thenceforth invoked the image of the Virgin and honored it according to the various interpretations they put upon his words. I saw much of the history of Tobias and the marriage brought about by the angel between young Tobias with Sarah. The latter was a type of St. Anne. The old Tobias represented the race of pious Jews that yearned after the Messiah. His blindness signified that he was to be the father of no more children, and that he should devote himself entirely to meditation and prayer. His quarrelsome wife was an image of the vain and troublesome ceremonies of the pharisaical doctors of the law. The swallow, a messenger of spring, heralded the coming salvation. Tobias's blindness chiefly betokened the faithful, the obscure waiting and longing for salvation, and the ignorance of whence it should come. The angel had indeed spoken truly when he said that he was Azarias, the son of Ananias, for this word signifies, this angel was the guide to the races, the protector and administrator of the blessing, even to the conception of the Blessed Virgin. In the prayer offered together by young Tobias and Sarah, which I saw carried by angels to the throne of God, where it was favorably received, I recognized the supplications of the pious Israelites and the daughters of Sion for the coming of the Savior, also the simultaneous prayers of Joachim and Anne for the child promised to them. The blindness of Tobias and the reproaches of his wife signified also the contempt shown to Joachim and the slightings of his offerings. The seven murdered husbands of Sarah represented those among the ancestors of Mary who had placed obstacles to her coming, and, consequently, to the salvation of man. They likewise denoted the suitors dismissed by Anne before her marriage with Joachim. The reproaches of Sarah's maid signify the derision of pagans, of unbelievers, and of godless Jews upon the delay in the coming of the long-looked-for Messiah. Such impious taunts drove the pious to still more earnest prayer. It was also very particularly a symbol of the scorn that Anne endured from her maid, at which, being confused, she had recourse to prayer with so great earnestness that she was heard. The fish about to devour the young Tobias typified the prolonged sterility of Anne, but the removal of its heart, liver, and gall denoted good works and mortification. The little kid brought home by Tobias's wife as the wages of her work was really a stolen one that the people had given to her cheap. Tobias knew the people as well as the whole transaction, and that was the reason they had despised him. It bore also some signification to the relations that existed between the pious Jews and the Essenians on the one hand, and the Pharisees and merely ceremonious Jews on the other, also the scorn felt by the latter for the former, but what that signification was I cannot now recall. The gall, by which the blind Tobias was restored to sight, symbolized the suffering and bitterness by which the elect among the Jews arrived at the knowledge of salvation and attained to a participation in the same. It signified the entrance of light into darkness, Jesus entering upon his bitter passion from his very birth. Part 4. Symbolical Vision I saw a slender pillar arise out of the earth. It was like the stalk of a flower, and like the calyx, or the capsule, of the poppy. I saw the octagonal church upon the top of this pillar. The pillar arose through the center of the church, and there, like a tree, divided into several branches. 
Upon these branches stood the members of the Holy Family and their relatives. They were indeed the central objects of veneration in this vision. They stood as if on the stamens of flowers. Anne stood above between two holy men, Joachim and her father, or some other member of her family. Below St. Anne's breast, I saw a brilliant space, almost in the shape of a heart. In this light, I saw the figure of a shining child unfolding, as it were, becoming larger. Its hands were clasped upon its breast, its head inclined, and it constantly shed toward one quarter of the globe numerous rays of light. I noticed with surprise that the rays did not stream in all directions. On the surrounding branches, and inclining toward this middle one, were adorers, and all around in the church, in groups and choirs innumerable, were saints inclining in prayer toward the holy central point. The sweetness, fervor, and simplicity of this sacred service can be compared to nothing but a flowery field swayed toward the sun by a gentle breeze and sending its perfumes and colors to those beams to which all flowers owe their gifts, yes, their existence itself. Above this picture of the Immaculate Conception arose the stem of grace. It extended above Anne, and upon this stem, crown-like, sat Mary and Joseph. Below them in adoration sat Anne, but above them all, on the very summit of the tree, sat the child Jesus in unfading splendor the imperial globe in his hand. In adoration around these groups were first the choirs of the apostles and disciples, and in more distant circles those of the other saints. High above all, I saw in the brightest light figures and powers of indeterminate form, and over them something like a half-sun rayed out its beams. The second picture seemed to signify the advent. First I saw the region below and around the pillar, then I saw the church and its adorers, and lastly the child developing in the shining heart. I received at the same time an unspeakable assurance of the sinless conception. I read it plainly as if in a book, and I comprehended it. I was also informed that a church had once stood on this spot, but on account of its being the scene of many scandalous disputes on the subject of the Immaculate Conception, it had been given over to destruction. The church triumphant, however, still celebrates the feast on its site. I heard also the words, Every vision contains some mystery until its fulfillment. <laughs>